Good morning. Good morning. Would you do me a favor? Would you take out your worship bulletin? We've got a couple of things that we want to go over and mention, and I don't want you guys to miss this. So if you'd pay attention to that. First up, men's breakfast is coming this Saturday at 8.30 here. All you have to do is show up and eat, and then somebody will pray over you. You share what's going on in your life, anything that we can pray for. We talk about sports. We talk about whatever. And we just have a time of fellowship where we're there for each other. But if you can eat bacon, you're welcome to come to this. I think they have sausage, too, usually, because Lee doesn't like bacon, so we always have sausage, too. Yeah. All right, so that's this coming this Saturday at 8.30. Make sure you also mark your calendar because we're going to watch in the OSU game on the 18th. starts at 3.30, so we'll be meeting here. You can uh, be as loud as you want. Expect some grunting and some all that good stuff. Um, don't come if you're not rooting for Ohio State, all right? Yeah. yeah, that's right. All right. Well, just expect to get beat on if you do, if you are rooting against Ohio State. All right, number two, Sunday school starts next Sunday. We have classes for adults. We have two classes for kids. We have a younger class, an older class, and we have classes for teens. So that's going to start at 930. You're going to have to get up a little bit earlier. All right, but that starts next Sunday. Don't miss this. Don't miss a part, being a part of Sunday school. Sunday school is small group. Small group is where you get to really get to be intimate with people, learn, uh, you know, make relationships with people that you cannot make in a, in a setting like this. You can share things, you can ask questions, you can grow. It's just a, it's a great time. So make sure you come out for Sunday school next Sunday at 9.30. Come a little bit early, right? Some of you guys, like, come, come a little bit late and you're, you're, you're late people, you know. So Sunday school starts at 9.15. We'll just tell you that. If you're one of the people that comes late, just plan on starting at 9.15, all right? All right. Um, we still need helpers for the kids. For those two kids' age groups, we still need people that can just come in there. Maybe you can help with a snack. Maybe you help make copies of flyers. Maybe you can help with bathroom breaks and everything like that. We need helpers. We only have a few. We're trying to do where you only serve once a month. So if you can help out with that, please see me. We're, we're kind of getting to the point where we're desperate about this because people just aren't, aren't responding. And I don't know about you, but I want to be a church that cares for our kids and helps them out. All right. So please think about that and let me know, let Dawn know, let Brenda know if you see her, uh, if you can help out with that. And then next Sunday after the service, we're going to have a short meeting for every teacher, helper, anybody involved in teens and kids ministries. Okay. And and if you're an adult teacher, short meeting, I just want to talk about some things that we want to be a part of and do and some things that we don't want to do in these classes. And then if you're involved in the kids or the teens, you have to go through our Ministry Safe program, sexual abuse, sexual awareness training. Um, we also do a background check. So some people don't have a good access to a computer to do that test. We'll be doing that video, watching that video all together for those people that need to do that. And then you can take the test here on one of our computers. We'll have some laptops set up and get you all squared away for that. So make sure you pay attention to that next Sunday after church. All right. Um, fifth, Detweilers. Detweilers. Would you stand up, you guys? So... Uh, 
This is the Detweilers last Sunday with us. And um, we're, we are bummed. We're also excited for you and happy for you, though, that you're going to be moving closer, closer to your kids and, and, and everything like that. that you know, um, but we're going to miss you. And you guys are OG crew to the Willard Church of the Nazarene. I don't know. How long have you guys been here? 1988, all right? Yeah. So, yeah. We, we praise God for you guys. Your family, if you need anything, reach out to us. We know you're going to be by family. We know you're going to have a new family, church family, you know. But um, always remember that you've got a family, family here. So after the church service, Edivy made some cupcakes. We're going to have a time where we just fellowship. I also want to get a picture with everybody in the church. That way we can give it to them. Um, afterwards later. So if you would stay right after church, right after the church sun, we're going to go out there, take a picture, and then you come inside, eat some cupcakes, and, and you know, beat on them for leaving, all right? <laughs> all right. Uh, six, baptism tonight. So today is a, a sad day. It's also an, an amazingly exciting day. We're going to be baptizing. I think we have six, um, one kid, four teens, one adult. And it's not too late if you want to be baptized, all right? So I, I told, I told the, the class that we went through, baptism is really a symbol. It's a symbol of our commitment to be identified with Jesus Christ. And I told him, it's kind of like a wedding ring, all right? The, the wedding ring says you're committed to that person, right? It's a reminder that you're committed. It's an awesome symbol of your commitment. And that's what baptism is. All right, and it, and it tells and it witnesses what Christ has done through the things that we do, and we'll talk about that more, more tonight. But it doesn't mean that you're going to be a perfect, you know, when you put on a wedding ring, it doesn't mean you're going to be a perfect dad, perfect, perfect husband, perfect wife, or anything like that. It means you're committed, though, and committed to following Jesus Christ. So that's what baptism is. That's what baptism is a picture of that. I know there's people who who don't want to come to church because they think, you know, if I come to church, the roof is going to be lit on fire. You know, if that were to happen, me being here would have lit that roof on fire a long time ago. All right? The same thing with baptism. I know there's people that don't want to be baptized because they're like, I'm not, I'm not perfect yet. Yeah, you'll never be perfect, right? Until you die, until, until um, you go up to heaven and you get that new body and everything like that. What it is, is it's not about you being perfect. It's about you being committed. So if you know Jesus Christ, if you want to follow Jesus Christ, you should be baptized. You don't have to be baptized, but you should be baptized. So I want to encourage you, I've just kind of explained it. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you have not been baptized um, and God is speaking to you about being baptized, come talk to me afterwards, all right? Because we can add you into the lineup, no problem. I can dunk you really good, you know, no matter what, all right? All right, would you stand with me? East Beach, 6 p.m. tonight. If, uh, if it is lightning, <laughs> we will not do the baptism. We'll postpone it and change it up. Uh, if it's raining, though, and it's not lightning, I'm still planning on doing it. That'll just make it more fun, uh, more interesting, right? Uh, but I'm looking forward to, forward to this. Make sure if you're being baptized, don't wear a, a white T-shirt. Uh, and um, if you have somebody that can come out in the water with you, I'd like you to pick somebody, too, because I'll be on one side. And I'd love to have you on the other side to, to help with that baptism. All right? All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the privilege of being able to come to your church, Lord. We, pray for, we, we thank you for the privilege of being, being able to be a part of your church. Lord, call us to that. Lord, we want to we turn our attention to you and fully 
to you. We want to glorify you. We want to give you praise. We want to be a blessing to you, Lord. We want to be a blessing with our, with our mouths, with our voices, Lord, but also with our hearts and with our actions as we go out of here. Lord, we want to represent you well to this world that doesn't know you, to this world who has a, has a wrong view of you. Lord, would you help us to be a demonstration of your compassion, of your love, of your truth, Lord. Help us to be a part of that, whatever you are doing. As we talked about last week, Father, you are at work. The harvest is ripe, but unfortunately the workers are few. Lord, would you wake us up to that? Would you call us to that? Holy Spirit, you have right of way. Do whatever you want. Lead people. Father, I pray that if you lead somebody to do something in here, that they would be faithful to that. Lord, we love you. We give you all praise. Lord, let the worshipers arise. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.
Jesus Christ, my living hope. 
Death has lost 
just take out your Bibles and turn to Genesis 28. Genesis 28. Teens, man, are there any teens in here? Can you, can you stand up if you're a teen? Can you stand up if your maturity level puts you the same as a teenager? Right? All right. So I'm preaching to you guys today. All right? The message is for you guys primarily. I'm going to preach to other people too. But you're who I had in mind when God was leading me in this direction. So I need you guys to, to pay attention to that. All right? All right. Genesis chapter 28, beginning at verse 10. That's where we're going to be at. So you teens, can you tell me, do you have any unusual morning routines? You've just started back to school, I'm sure. Anything unusual that you do to get ready in the morning? Or are you just people that kind of, uh, you know, your parents still have to wake you up because you don't know how to set an alarm and, and your parents have to make you breakfast because you can't feed yourself, you know? Is that anybody? Or, or do you have any routines that you do? Anybody want to share anything? No? Nothing? Nothing unusual? How, do you guys, are you guys morning people or night people? Who's a morning person? One? Morning person, all right. Night people? More so. All right, all right. Well, I started looking at routines of people and kind of reading about them, morning routines and how they wake up, and I've got a few that I want to share. Um, Mark Wahlberg, do you know who Mark Wahlberg is? Wakes up at 2.30. Wakes up at 2.30. What kind of weirdo wakes up at 2.30, right? Uh, wakes up at 2.30, starts with prayer. That's a good thing then has breakfast, then does his first workout of the day, then he plays golf, then cryo, and then it's about 10.30 and he has the rest of the day in front of him. That's nuts, right? That's, that's crazy. Winston Churchill, this is kind of the other way. Prime Minister of the UK got up at 7.30, often had a cigar and a little sip of whiskey while he was in bed. Didn't get out of bed had breakfast brought to him, two platters full of food brought to him, and he'd stay in bed and conduct his briefings and business meetings in bed till 11.30, right? Then at 11.30, 11, 11.30, he'd actually get up, have his first bath. He had a lot of baths during the day, uh, and he'd get to the rest of his work. Tony Robbins, Tony Robbins, self-help guru. If you're my age, you know who Tony Robbins is. If you're a teen, you probably don't know who he is. All right. Every day when he gets up, the first thing he does is he jumps in a bath that's 57 degrees. 57 degrees. He has multiple houses around the country, and all these houses have these special baths that keep, him, keep that temperature constant. All right. It's the first thing that he does. He said it's better than coffee at waking him up. Yeah, that would be, right? That would get you going. That would wake you up, right? He also said it's likely the worst thing that will happen to you every day, so you might as well just get it over with, and then the rest of the day is downhill. The rest of the day is cake, right? Those are three morning routines, and these are interesting ways to wake up and get going. I don't know if I'd recommend any of them, but they're interesting, right? Today, though, I want to talk about a a wake-up for your soul, not a physical wake-up, a wake-up for your heart. I want to look at a person who had this encounter with God one night, and it totally changed 
his life. It totally changed his routine. It woke his soul up. That's what I want to look at today. All right, Genesis 28, beginning at verse 10. Would you stand with me in honor of God's word? This is God's word, right? This is spoken for our benefit, for our guidance. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I, offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I will return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God and this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. Father, Lord, we pray that your word would speak loud and clear to our hearts. Lord, challenge us transform us to look more like you. Father, I pray that our, our eyes would be open, our ears would be open, our hearts would be softened to take this in. Lord, we pray especially for our teens. Lord, I pray that today, if they're not on a right track, that you would set them on that path of following you and that they'd serve you all the days of their life, Lord, and that you'd bless them in everything that they do. Lord, thank you for our teens. Thank you for this awesome group of young people. Father, this is, the, this is the future of our church, Lord. And they are valuable to us because they're a family, Lord, but also too because they are going to be leading the way. Lord, let that start now. Not when they're older, not when they have money. Lord, let that start right now. Lord, call them. Equip them as only you can equip them, Lord. We give you all praise and honor. In your name we pray, amen. You may be seated. There are four different ways that the Bible uses the term sleep. Sleep. The first is the normal way of that when we go to bed, we talk about we fall asleep, sleeping physically, right? I am great at falling asleep. I am like tier one. I am top notch at falling asleep. I can go over to my in-laws, eat, and fall asleep while they're talking to me. The only person better is Cliff at falling asleep, but I'm pretty good. I'm almost up there, right? I'm great at it. When I go to bed, 
I fall asleep. I feel bad for my wife if we go to bed at the same time because I snore. And I know she's going to have to deal with me snoring right away, and that's just going to keep her up late at night. I try to kind of uh, give her a head start a lot of times. Here, you go to bed. I'll come back a half an hour later. Hope you're asleep by then because I'm coming. Right? That's just, that's just me, and that's the first type that we, that we talk about, sleep in the normal physical sense. The second way the Bible talks about sleep means that somebody has died. When a believer dies, the Bible uses the word sleep to describe that person. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul is asked, what about Christians that have died? Did they miss the resurrection because Christ hasn't come in glory yet? Did they miss out? Paul says, no, they didn't miss out. Actually, they're in an enviable state because they didn't die. They just fell asleep in Christ. When Jesus' friend Lazarus died, Jesus goes and he tells his disciples in John 11, 11, that Lazarus is sleeping and I'm going to wake him up. This confuses them because if he's sleeping, he'll get up on his own. And Jesus says, no, he's dead, all right? Which just added to their confusion. Why didn't you just say, why did you say he was sleeping if he was dead? Why would Jesus refer to believers that have died as being asleep? It's because he wants us to see death as he sees it. It's just something temporary, right? How awesome is that? How encouraging is that? If you're an atheist, death is the end. There is nothing to look forward to after that, right? You just cease to exist. What's the point of life if just everybody ceases to exist at some time? No, we have the hope of Christ. We have the hope of the resurrection He proved it by rising himself from the dead and conquering death. That's our hope that we have in Christ, right? Third way, the the other New Testament way that uses the word sleep is to describe somebody that is not a believer, not a Christian at all. They're spiritually asleep to Christ. They could wake up at any time. It is our hope that they wake up at some time and put their faith in Jesus Christ, but they are, as of right now, asleep. Ephesians 5.14 uses this language. Wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. This is an opportunity that the gospel gives. Wake up, sleeper. Rise up from death. The fourth and final use of the word is the one that I want to key in on today. It's used to describe believers that are just kind of going through the motions. There are Christians that accepted Christ at some time, but they've kind of drifted. They've kind of lost their passion. Maybe they've become lukewarm, and now they're just asleep, going through the motions. People know Jesus, but are they making any kind of impact for the kingdom? These are people that think church is something that you go to instead of something that you are a part of. I talked about this in the Revelation series. This is what the enemy wants for all Christians, for all people who call Jesus Christ Lord and Savior. He wants them to just be asleep, to be not in the fight. Go back to bed. Stay where it's comfortable, where it's warm. Don't get out of bed. Don't get involved in the fight. Romans 13, 11 says, The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The time has come for you to wake 
up. Salvation is near, right? Which just means that every day we come closer to the end of our life. What are we doing with this time? Teens, the older you get, the more you realize how fast life goes by. How many of you think your summers fly by quicker and quicker as you get older? They do, right? When you become my age, they're, they're flying by. You may not realize it now. You may think you have a ton of time left, but time is short. And unless you wake up right now, you're going to find yourself later on in life thinking about how much time you wasted on stupid things, on things that don't matter. How many of you know the game Destiny? Any of you know the game Destiny? It's made by the people who created Halo. I'm sure you're familiar with Halo, Bungie Studio, you teens. All right, you know the game Destiny, some of you, right? They have something where you can go to a website and find out how much time you've wasted playing the game. It's called wastedondestiny.com. I played Destiny a lot of time when I was doing my whole YouTube ministry. All right, so I went there just yesterday and looked up how much time I wasted on that game. Destiny 1, all right? 1,163 hours I played that game. <clears throat> Destiny 2, I, didn't, I quit playing that. 338 hours. That's 1,500 hours I played that video game. That's 62 and a half days. 62 and a half days I wasted playing a video game. That's nuts. That's nuts. That game does not matter to me one bit today when I go back and look at it. It doesn't matter one bit today. Teens, how much time are you wasting on social media? How much time are you wasting watching TV or streaming something, some service? The average team spends seven and a half hours a day in front of a screen, not including schoolwork. That's not including schoolwork. The average team, seven and a half hours a day. That's 116 days a year in front of a screen. Oh, I'm getting there. Yeah. I was going to say, before your parents give you a look, all right, adults spend 11 hours a day in front of a screen. Now, part of that is work, though, but still, not everybody is in front of a screen at work. 11 hours a day on average. The Bible tells us to wake up. Wake up. The harvest is ripe, but there aren't enough workers because we're binging Netflix. We're too busy doing things that really aren't that important. Am I against video games? I still play video games, all right? I still watch TV. I like watching sports, right? But there's got to be a balance. You've got to put the kingdom first in everything that you do. That work makes an eternal difference. Leveling up your character and destiny does nothing. Right? You can use that time playing video games to witness to people, to encourage other believers, to, to, to share the good news. There are good aspects of doing that. That's fellowship at times, but that's usually not what we're doing when we're doing those things. Don't miss the opportunity to be a part of the healing, to be a part of the helping, to be a part of the ministry of Christ. Right? This is our time to make an eternal 
difference in people's lives. And we cannot be sleeping. We can't. So what does it take to wake up your spirit so that you can receive power from Christ that you can share with others? There's so much that we can learn about this experience with Jacob that I want to go through and his encounter with God. What Jacob puts into motion after this dream that he has sets him up, completely changes his life in a dramatic way. His name even changes, right? He starts off as Jacob. Jacob means deceiver. Jacob means cheater. That's how he started off in life. That's the name his parents gave him. He stole his brother's birthright, right? He stole his brother's blessing. He deceived his father into giving him his brother's blessing. He's a hustler. He's a swindler. He's always looking to get ahead. That's how he ended up in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of night in this passage. He went to sleep with a rock under his head for a pillow. But he has this encounter with God, and it changes everything. He begins to seek God. He continues to seek God. God reveals more and more to him until one day God gives him a new name. Right? God says, you're no longer going to be Jacob, deceiver, cheater, heel grabber. You're going to be called Israel. Israel means governed by God, led by God. Everything changes when you say, God, govern my life. God, leave my life. I want you to direct my path. It's not about what I want to do, what I want from this life. No, I'm going to trust what you want for my life, and I'm going to follow that path. Everything changes when you do that. When you get up and say, God, what do you want me to do today? That's when life gets exciting. If Christianity is boring to you, you are doing it wrong. If Christianity is boring to you, you are doing it wrong. Completely. Christianity should be terrifyingly awesome. Terrifyingly awesome because it involves you taking leaps of faith all the time. God, God tells you, I want you to do something. Here, uh, that scares me to death to do that, Lord, but I'll do it. I'll take that leap of faith. And then God somehow makes it all work out. God somehow catches you when you take that leap of faith and does amazing things through you, and that's the awesome part. Terrifyingly awesome. And, And it just leaves you saying, God, you're amazing. You are unbelievable. Everything changes when you encounter God and you surrender your life completely to him. Verse 16, I want to go over four things that Jacob does, all right? Verse 16, when Jacob woke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. First thing I want you to know is that Jacob came away from this encounter amazed. He came away from this encounter with God amazed. You should walk away from your time reading the Bible amazed. You should come to church and sing songs that amaze you. You should hear the word of God that is preached and it should be amazing to you if you're doing it right. Amazed because it always points to God or it should always 
point to God? How do you approach reading the Bible? Is it a chore? Is it something that you have to do? Or is it something that you want to do because you want to have an encounter with God? Do you read it because you want to be amazed by God? Wow, God enabled a boy, a teenage boy, the least in his family, the runt, to take on a seven-foot giant, or a ten-foot giant, right? With a sling, a fully armored giant. He takes him on with a sling, and God takes him out through this young boy. That doesn't amaze you. I don't know what would, right? Do you read the Bible to be amazed at what God is doing? Man, and then you think, what do you want to do through me, Lord? You did this through David. What giant do you want me to take on? Do you want me to take on human trafficking? Do you want me to take on injustice? Do you want me to take on some cause that I see that I just cannot stand what's going on? And you realize, man, if God can do that with the runt, he can do that with me, right? Be amazed when you read God's word. You know, we, we don't come to church in the right focus. We come, wow, look, look how good I am. I come to church. Look how many times I prayed this week. I don't smoke. I don't drink. I don't do bad things. It's, I'm an amazing Christian, and that's why God must love me. No, no, right? All too often we focus on the wrong thing. We ask the wrong questions. You know how many times I've had somebody say, hey, can I do this and still go to heaven? Can I smoke and still go to heaven? Yeah, you'll just get there faster, right? (laughs) We come to church to be amazed by God. We have a quiet time hoping that God will speak to us through our prayers, through what we're reading Approach it in that way. Have you ever had a time where he just touches your heart? Man, I'm sitting there right there while we're singing, while we're, while we're praying and worshiping, and the Lord just was touching my heart, bringing me to tears. I get a head start on all of you guys. I wake up at 7 o'clock, and I'm usually studying God's word, preparing it. I get a head start. You guys come in here cold, all right? It might take you a little differently, but man, start your day in God's word. Start your day before church begins in God's word, talking to him, and it just hits you. Church will just hit you deeper. It'll take you deeper. Notice, notice in this passage when we read Jacob encounters God, he's like, this is the gate of heaven. This is the gate of heaven. That comes from Genesis 10 and a story that's in there. And this word we see used throughout the Bible Right? This is, this is in regards to the whole in each and every one of our souls. The, the word that I'm talking about from Genesis 10 is the word Babel. Babel. Babel directly translated means gate of heaven. We all have this hole in us that only God can fill. The Bible says that God has put eternity on our hearts. He has us wired out to seek him, to seek something more beyond this life. There's got to be something more. That's wired into our being. That's what we struggle to find. We struggle to find purpose for our life. We struggle to find meaning for our life, and we do it in different ways, right? But we never truly can fill that desire apart from God. That's why Tom Brady, when he asked which is his favorite Super Bowl ring, he said, the next one. 
He's not satisfied with the seven that he already has. He has a handful of rings, right? But it doesn't satisfy the longing in his soul. He's searching for something more. He just hasn't found it. That is only found in Jesus Christ, right? People turn to religion to plug this hole. It doesn't work. Religion doesn't plug this hole. Nothing you will do, nothing that you can do will ever plug this hole. Jacob lived in a time where you could make the ultimate religious sacrifice. You could sacrifice your kid to a god. And the enemy told people, if you do that, then you'll plug that hole. Then that will satisfy your soul. And people believed the lie. And they sacrificed their kids. And that same spirit lives on today. That will not satisfy your soul. That will not satisfy the hole that you have. Only Christ can. Only God can. That's what, that's what Jacob realized in this vision. I, I love this story of Jacob because he, he goes to bed, he goes to sleep a deceiver. He goes to sleep a cheater. He goes to sleep not even seeking God, right? He's not looking for God here. He's just doing what he's doing. He's doing bad things. He's doing unethical things. And the God of the universe seeks him out reveals himself to this man, just like he does to each and every one of us. That's what we talked about last week, right? He falls asleep, a cheater, a deceiver, but God's seeking him. God shows him that you don't have to earn your way to God. No, he's made the ladder between heaven and earth. He's made the ladder. He's made the way. With the Tower of Babel, mankind was trying to make their way to God, to find God. That's religion. That is religion. If you're good enough, if you try hard enough, if you don't make mistakes, if you're perfect, if you give, maybe you can reach God. That's not it. That's the world's way. No, we believe God came down to us. God saw us in a pit. God saw us. We are nothing but swindlers. We are nothing but cheaters, nothing but deceivers. And he made a way down to us so that he could die and bring us up to him. He makes the way. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through him. You'll never earn your way to heaven. That is freeing. That is amazing. That is an amazing truth. You need to tattoo that on yourself. He's the only way. Jacob sees the ladder and God at the top inviting him to participate in his heavenly kingdom. Inviting him to participate in this great purpose. In this peace. He sees in this dream everything his soul has been searching for. Everything his soul has been longing for. Everything that every man and woman's soul has been longing for. This is the gate of heaven. Not me making a way up to God, but God making a way to him. That's why he's amazed. Do something to remind yourself how amazing God is. Sing a song of worship that praises his goodness. Look at nature and see how amazing his creation is. Read your word. 
right, and see what God does with everyday, ordinary people. Be amazed at our God. And if you're struggling, look to the cross. Look what he was willing to endure to save you. Verse 14, your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and through your offspring. Second thing that Jacob sees here is that he realizes that he gets to be included in God's plan. He gets to be included in the story of God. God didn't say, I'm going to reach this people. You just get out of the way and let me do it all, right? No, he invites Jacob to be a part of what he was doing. That's what we talked about again last week. He invites us into this endeavor to reach mankind. What a privilege, right? He wants us to partner with him. He told Jacob he was going to bless the world through his family. He tells us the same exact thing. God can bless the world through you, through your family. If you'll let him, if you'll partner with him, if you will let yourself be used by him. Teens, you can be a part of somebody changing their life. There are hurting people at your school. There are people desperate to know God, desperate to figure out why they feel like there's something missing in their life. And you can be a part of sharing that. God wants us to reach people. He wants us to, he wants to use us to see people freed and saved. You play in a role, you play a role in that. Your life has that purpose. Your life has that meaning. You may not see it now. You might go to bed a deceiver, a cheater, but you can have an encounter with God and wake up and see what amazing thing he is calling you to do. Verse 20, then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me in this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. Jacob, third thing I want you to see, is Jacob gets invested. He vows to give God a tenth of whatever God gives to him. Here's the interesting thing, all right? At this point, Moses hasn't come. The law hasn't come. The command to give a tenth has not come. There is no church to give it to. But he says in his heart, I'll give you a tenth of whatever you give me. It's just a response, right? It's just a response. Whatever your heart loves, resources will flow towards that. Whatever your heart loves, resources will flow towards that. What do you love? What are your passions? This is where your resources will flow to. This is where your resources will go. If we could see each and every one of your Amazon accounts in here, right, we would see your passions and where, where you're passionate about. Some people might look at you and be like, man, I can't believe that you spend that kind of money on that. Yeah, but you don't know the passion I have for that, right? You don't know how that affects me. I love this thing, and that's why I spend that kind of money on it. Your spouse might not understand a $500 fishing pole, right? But if that's your passion, that will make sense to you. Jacob is now passionate about God. And with no command, 
no one telling him to do this, no law. He wants to give the money to God. He wants to give it back. He's passionate and grateful to God. This is why we give. This is why you give. We're just grateful to what God has done in our life, to the encounters that we've had with God. We want other people to experience this. We want to give to that kingdom, to build that kingdom. We want to give towards that vision. That's what we're called to do. Anybody know William Colgate? You ever heard of the story of William Colgate? Anybody brush your teeth with Colgate toothpaste? No? Am I the only one? Anybody brush your teeth with Crest? Okay, seriously, like 80% don't brush your teeth with Colgate or Crest, and that's about the only two things unless you're using some hippie thing, right? I'm glad that we put those mints out there today. <laughs> William Colgate, he's a young man who had this dream to build a soap company in New York. He was raised in the church. His mom made sure of that. He sets out towards New York, though. And on this voyage, he befriends the ship's captain. And he found out, the ship's captain found out what Colgate was planning to do. They also found out that they were both Christians. And so they had that immediate bond that I talked about, right? Immediate bond. Teens, if you know somebody, you meet somebody that's a Christian, man, use that bond. Use that bond with them. So this captain begins to mentor him. He told him, hey, somebody in New York's got to be the number one manufacturer of soap. Why not let that be you? Might as well be you. But the captain gave him three pieces of advice, three pieces of advice. Number one, he said, make sure that you make the best product you can make, never cut corners. Make sure you make the best product you can make, never cut corners. Number two, if you sell somebody a pound of soap, give them at least a pound of soap. Error on the side of giving them more, not less. Don't scrimp. Always be a person of your word. And number three, he said, if you do these two things, God will bless this. God will bless this. If you get a reputation for excellence and integrity, God will bless this. He said, when that happens, when you're, when you're, when you're making soap, remember who gave that to you and give him back a tenth of that. Make it, make it a priority. Make it priority number one. The, the first thing you do with any money that comes in, give him 10% back. Colgate took that to offer and started that, all right? He made a great product and became successful. Every time he got paid, there was that little part of him inside of him that said, man, I should probably reinvest this money into this business till I get it more up and running, then I'll give it. But he listened to the ship's captain and he did that and he gave to God a 10% of everything that came in. What he found out was that God blessed his business more and more. Every time he did it, God opened doors he came to realize, hey, I'm not giving enough. So he upped his giving to 20%. God blessed him even more. He went to 30%. God blessed him even more. He went to 40%. God blessed him even more. At 40%, he was able to take on passion projects. He was able to translate the Bible into different languages and pay for that. He was able to build and fully fund a Christian college and open that. By the end of his life, he was given away 50% of every dollar he made. He said, the more I gave, the more successful I became. Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Teens, if you get this in your head now, man, 
I don't know where this will take you, but I bet it will be amazing. Get this in your head now while you don't have money, while it's easy to do. Start this process, start this practice, because the more money you have, the more difficult this becomes to do. Start now while you don't have a whole lot. Man, there's adults in here that keep thinking, uh, if I make this much money, then I'll tithe. If I give, get more, then I'll start giving. People that tell themselves, hey, if God gives me a million dollars, then I'll tithe, then I'll give them that 100000 Here's the thing, though. God says you're a liar. God says if you're not faithful with a little, you won't be faithful with a lot. If you can't give $10 now, if you can't write a check for $100 now, you won't write a check for $100,000. You just won't. Get in the practice early while you don't have a lot of money. I started tithing in my early 20s, and I've never looked back since then. God has blessed me. I married a wife that tithes, and we're on the same page, and that's, that's a blessing, right? If you're not on the same page with your spouse, pray about it. Let God lead you in that. That's a difficult subject, right? I'm blessed to have that, and, and I know Edivy, if she was up here, she would say, man, God blesses us far more than what we give. We're blessed beyond that. We've never outgiven God. I've never met anyone who tithes and says they are not walking in God's blessing. I've never, one who's never met anyone who tithes that says they regret it. I hate talking about money, right? It was easier for me to talk about money when I wasn't getting paid by the church. You know, now it's like you're talking about money because you want people to give and you want that money to come in. No, that's why we keep the, the plates in the back. It's never about guilt. It's never about shame. Man, I, I want to tell my kids to tithe because I want them to be blessed by God. I want them to put God first and order their lives around that because I know God will bless them through that. I know the struggle, though, it is if you've not been a tither and not raised as a tither and you start to try and tithe, it's difficult. This isn't meant to, to heap bricks on you or anything like that. I just know the blessing that comes with it. Tithe, give. Don't stop at tithing. Right? If you're at 10%, don't stop there. Go deeper. Go further. Let God order your path. Let God tell you what to give. Let God direct you. I'm not a health and wealth gospel person. I can't stand people on TV that says, you know, if you give, God's going to make you rich. You know, or if you say this, you can claim it. No, no, no. That is a lie from the devil, right? I will not tell you that if you tithe, if you give money, that you're going to be a millionaire or you're going to be like Colgate, right? This is not me telling you that. This is me telling you that if you give to God, you will get God's goodness. And that is far better than money. I used to think I was doing good tithing until I did my mom's taxes, and she was given 25% of her income. She only made $20,000, $25,000, and she was given a quarter of that away. It's not about where you're at. It's not about how much you're giving. It's about are you being faithful to what God calls you to do? Wherever you're at, give that, right? Start when you're young, because it's going to be hard if you start when you're old, right? The majority of Christians don't tithe. Only, only one or two out of ten people in the church tithes. I'm telling you, if God blesses you with anything, see how you can give it back to him, and it'll change your life. You'll have a greater passion for the kingdom of God. If you tithe, you won't be able to buy all the toys, but you'll have something far better. All right, verse 18. 
Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called the place Bethel. Fourth thing, Jacob walked away from this dedicated to God. He used the symbol to show this. He set up his pillow into a pillar, right? That pillar would become a cornerstone of the church. He poured oil on it. When you pour oil on something, you can't unpour it, especially if it's on a rock in a, in a wilderness, right? Remember, at this point, he didn't have a whole lot. This, this guy's not got a whole lot to just be pouring oil out somewhere. Oil was very valuable. But he's like, this is my life poured out in dedication to you. He was saying, I'm committed. I once had a plan for my life, but then I threw that out when I experienced you. And now I'm about what you're about. I'm committed to you and what you want for my life. I'm going to follow you wherever you lead me. I'm going to honor you with whatever you want. My life is going to be governed, led by you. I talked about this to the people that are getting baptized. This is the life that you're committing to. It's all about following Christ. I said, Lauren, you understand this probably then a lot, a lot better than the other ones because when you're committed to like a traveling team, you're committed to a life change, right? You're committed to games on all different times and having to drive and, and having to do that. You're, you're committed to having to be good enough, right, to put in that practice time, to, to work hard, right, to be a part of that team. That's what we're doing here too, right? We're committed to rearranging our life around Jesus Christ when we accept him as Lord and Savior. That's what we're committed to, whatever that is, right? Many of you had a Jesus moment when you got saved, but have you had a moment where you say, here I am, use me, in whatever way, use me. Paul saw his life as a drink offering being poured out. Use me as you will, God. Pour my life out. Direct my paths. Is this your life or is this life a life that you have dedicated to following Christ? You're not going to be perfect, right? But are you dedicated? Are you committed? Are you committed to being governed by God? If you, if you want to follow Christ, you'll have to sacrifice comfort. Jesus says, pick up your cross and follow me. There will be times where following him is very, very, very uncomfortable. But are you going to follow him or are you going to quit following him? This is usually when people quit. What will you choose, teens? God's going to want to do some amazing things with your life, but they will be uncomfortable. They will scare you. They will be terrifying but they'll be terrifyingly awesome if you follow through with them. Don't spend your life sleeping. Wake up. Wake up. Get in the game. Now, I, was, all right, I love sports. Watching high school football Friday night, and I was keying in on a couple, couple players. They were just, they were playing out there, but they weren't really committed. They were just kind of, they were just kind of out there. They weren't contributing to the team. They were on the field. They were on the field. They had the uniform, right? But they weren't blocking. They weren't doing what they should be doing. They weren't laying it all out. That's frustrating to watch people on teams doing that. I get mad in professional sports when people half it 
you know, they don't lay themselves out. They don't do what they should be doing. I understand it with little kids. They might not understand. But when you start getting to a certain level, right, you, you can't just be out there with a uniform on. They were, as a result, they were losing 28 to 6 at half. 28 to 6. They were just getting crushed. And I think this kind of describes a lot of Christians today. You know, we've got the uniform on. We say we're a Christian, but we're not out there to play. We're just out there to be there. We're not out there to block. We're not out there to do the hard stuff. We're not willing to sacrifice ourselves for the team. We're not willing to go full out to lay ourselves out, right? We're not willing to put in the time lifting weights before the game to prepare for it, right? We're not in the Word of God. We're not praying hardly. We're not studying God's Word, applying it to our lives. And we're getting crushed, just like that team was getting crushed. Because people weren't committed to it. I don't know what the coach said to them at halftime, but when they came out, they came out a different team. Man, they outscored that other team 22-3 to in the second half. They didn't win, but that was a totally different-looking team. Teens, I hope this is the halftime speech for you. Where maybe you were, had the uniform, you called yourself a Christian, but maybe you weren't really committed to it willing to sacrifice for it, willing to let God govern your life. I pray this is a day that changes that. I pray that this is a day that you encounter the God of the universe and you let him direct your path. I hope we all hear that. I hope we're all committed to that. Man, somebody says, don't you hope the church doubles in size? No. I'd rather have 11 committed football players playing both sides of the ball than 50 half-committed people. We've got some committed people here, in here. You're a light man. You're salty. This church is blessed by you. But there's some people who just aren't committed. God's got a plan for you. He's got a purpose for you. If you'll let him govern your life, if you'll let him direct your path, if you'll follow the way he's leading. You gotta get in the game though. And not only get in the game, you gotta be committed. You gotta be committed to throwing some blocks even when it's painful, even when you know you're gonna take that hit, right? And it's gonna hurt. You gotta be committed to that. You gotta wake up. Don't be satisfied knowing Christ. Be used by Christ. Share Christ. Don't come to church be the church, right? That's what we're called to do. Would you stand with me? I've talked about a lot of things. If you want to be a part of that, let me give you one thing to remember. One way to start out on this path of commitment. Start where David started in Psalm 5.3. Listen to this. He said this. My voice shall... My voice you shall hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning I will direct it to you and I will look up. It's pretty simple. Don't let a day go by without God hearing your voice, without spending it in prayer. A lot of people will hear your voice on a given day. Make sure Jesus is one of the first. Spend that time 
talking to him. Wake up and literally say, Lord, what do you got to do? What do you want me to do today? What have you got planned for me today? Help me to recognize it. Lord, teens, when you're sitting next to somebody you've never sat next to at school, maybe at lunchtime, look at that opportunity and pray right then and there. Lord, do I need to speak something to those kids? Do I need to share something with them? Are they hurting? How can I help them? How can I represent you well? Wake up literally with that kind of focus. Lord, put somebody next to me that I can minister to. Start your day with him. There, there is nobody who's a morning person. There are people who have learned to be morning people, though. Get up early. Get up early. Take the time. Invest it. Man, that, that's your weight room as a football player. That's where you lift weights. That's where you get ready when you get in the game. Start right there. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. Lord, I pray that each and every one of us would be committed to getting into the game. Lord, I pray that we would be committing to that prep time, the time to spend to you, to be, to be groomed by you, to be strengthened by you, to be challenged by you. Lord, and then I pray that we would go out and see ourselves as yours. Whatever you'd have us to do, Lord, whoever's path that you'd put us in front of, Lord, let us be ministers of the gospel. Let us to be about the harvest. Father, show us that the harvest is ripe. People are looking. People are searching. Nothing satisfies anyone's soul except for you. Lord, help us to share that good news with people. Lord, we love you, and we give you all praise. In your name we pray. Amen.